Now live at 6 o'clock, KWVA Sports is broadcasting from the campus of the University of Oregon. That's the show. It's Quacksmack. I like talking talking sports. Quacksmack! What? Quacksmack. Every Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m., the KWVA staff dissects all things Oregon athletics. <laughs> I'm, I'm experiencing life right now. I'm not sure how much more can be said. Now I'm on the show, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here. It's time for your nightly dose of Quack Smack. Now let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. The ice has melted, the snow has stopped falling, and we are officially back in the KWVA studio here for this Thursday edition of Quack Smack. Saul Galvan here is your host alongside Mario Ponce and John Evans. Boys, how are we doing today? It's it's been a it's been a week, hasn't it been? I mean, with the snow and the ice and everything, it's I I mean Yeah, it, I we've been trapped inside. I I was gonna say, like, this is the first time I've been outside my house since yeah, I think I like Saturday my, at I least. I didn't leave my apartment from I went I was out out and about Saturday because it was still not that icy yet. It was more just snow. And then Sunday, my roommates and I made the trek to the grocery store to get, like, a couple essentials we needed. And then from, like, midday Sunday to, I think, yeah, yesterday, like, 3 o'clock, I hadn't left my apartment for, like, three days until I finally, like, went to the rec and played basketball because I just needed to get out. Yeah, like, no. We were I, just holed up. I heard that the rec was like just unbelievably, it was like unbelievably never, packed. It was only up for four hours. Yeah, I've never seen all six uh, courts having full games going at the same time, and all six courts five five v five games. Like I went to just shoot around. I was like, I guess I'm playing fives because I don't really have any other option. <laughs> I mean, it was a crazy week. I took a huge fall on Tuesday. I kind of hurt my knee a little bit, so that wasn't super great. But outside of that, I didn't really leave my apartment either for like. All, pretty much nothing. So, yeah, it was a crazy week, but we're back here in the studio. Very happy. Yeah, it's yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of watching, like, watch football all weekend. Oh my, uh, thank Saturday, God we had Sunday, football. Monday, I, I was going to say, thank God we had football on Saturday and Sunday. And then I'm once sure that ended, I watched, me and my roommates watched all of Blue Planet, like the nature <laughs> documentaries, because we, like, we just didn't have anything to do. So <laughs> it was we were, yeah, It was one of those weeks where you just sit and you watch Netflix. So, I was learning about sea turtles. Apparently. Yeah, but hey, you spend your time well, though, because you were learning about something, versus yeah, watching guess. just a pointless show that <laughs> you get nothing out of. I, I'm really into Fargo. Like that's That, that was a show that I was watching on Hulu. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a good show. I highly recommend it if you're listening out there. I uh, played a lot of Zelda. Like Zelda, I, I heard that's, that's another popular. Sword all the weekend. I ha I had been stuck in like a hard boss, and I finally beat it. So there you go. I'm pretty hyped yeah. about yeah. that. Least, you know, you accomplished something. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, More it's like most people can say and I did homework weekend. as well. Like, it's yeah. like, it was yeah. not a wasted weekend. Exactly. Like a lot of people say that snow days are just not productive because you don't do anything. But I'm like. People I do got ahead on most of my work. Yeah, I mean, same with me. Like, I did most of my homework on Monday and Tuesday, like, before they canceled class on Wednesday. I cleaned my apartment. I did all this stuff that yeah. I probably would have never done on the regular. Like, I had – because I don't have class – to my Friday's off this quarter, so I don't have oh, class that's tomorrow. So nice. And yeah. then my two classes got canceled today, but I had a lab for one. So I thought I was in the clear, and then at, like – two o'clock i was like oh my god i have a three o'clock lab and so i had to shower and get ready and go to my lab yeah so that was the only reason i i was that and this right here the only reason i've been on campus all week i haven't had anything to do it's crazy to think that like some people will have this entire week off like a lot of pressers canceled class today they cancel class tomorrow yeah. too like some we only have 10 weeks in the term and we're gonna get one off like i that, know my it, mom was like are you gonna get way behind on everything i was like hopefully not because hopefully we're not. still doing online stuff exactly yeah. <laughs> well i'm just like john i just had one class today like and it was like last minute like the professor's like hey we're not gonna cancel it but everything else was canceled and i also don't have classes on friday so again like i also had only i'm also also basically only gonna have nine weeks of class this term yeah yeah I'm, yeah i missed a whole week it's like it's weird, but it's gonna be weird going back to school on Monday because then we're gonna go into the weekend, and then it's like it's like we've had like a ten day weekend. I, yeah, basically. that's what I'm saying. I feel like next week is gonna be so hard because we were just on this extended break, and now next week we're going back to just full on like I know because I mean, we were on winter break. We came back for one week, then for we had one like week, ten days off. And yeah. Then, yeah, and then we're gonna go back to school. Are you kidding me? That's not. It, happening. It's not like we need spring to come soon. Yeah, I, I feel know. like spring is gonna make this term this, so much better. After, just knowing that we can go outside. Yeah, and once like, we once we hit school again, the like stretch run from then till spring break is gonna be. 
tough. It's going to sure. be rough. It's going to be totally sure. Uh, you know, speaking of snow days, uh, my question of the day, I uh, wanted to go with the question of the day since this is a modified director show. Uh, I want to ask you guys both, uh, what's a favorite snow day activity that, you know, John, I know you're from Seattle, Mario, you said you're from Miami, right? Well, I'm from Venezuela, South America. Yeah. We don't have snow over there. Okay, I got you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not happening in the, in the southern <laughs> no. hemisphere. Uh, I'm from Chicago, so we got a lot of snow. I'll start with John, though, because you said you've experienced some snow in Seattle. What's, yeah, we what's, get, we'll get, like, Seattle's, like, pretty similar to here. We get the, like, one or two days of snow every year. Yeah. And and it's Seattle's super hilly, so I was always sledding, like, all that sort of stuff. Sledding, like, just yeah. Just down my street, it, got great sledding. It's so. a common thing. I mean, yeah. like, if you're a kid and you have a snow day, most likely you're going to be at the hill. Got to hit the sledding, skiing. Nailing my brothers with snow, where my brother with snowballs. Oh, that's the like, snowball that's fights. Yeah, that's it right there. Yeah. Mario, what about, I mean, I know you said you're not used to the snow. Well, I mean, I, I've, I've experienced snow a little bit before this. Uh, oh, in December, I was in Germany in Bavaria. Okay, nice. And it was a cabin in the woods. And they let me like handle the fire every day. Like I had to build the fire in the fireplace. And that just sort of became like my, I guess, favorite activity for the snow, which I didn't have a fire. I don't have a fireplace in my apartment, which is kind of sad. But like, that was the thing that I did every single day. And I, hey, I became pretty good at starting fires. So, yeah, for something. Yeah. I mean, hey, you stay warm. That's a pretty good activity to do, especially when it's snowing out. Yeah, I think for me, it's probably like building like a, a fortress of snow. Yeah. Like I always liked like yeah. going outside and spending like hours just packing on snow and building like, like my own little hut. Yeah, we had we had a. A white I've only had one white Christmas it snowed on Christmas like five four or five years ago and mm-hmm. we always go to my friend's house uh, on Christmas Day and we made this like massive snow fort with like me and him and our younger brothers and stuff and it was yeah it was so fun yeah no I mean being in the snow can be a little annoying sometimes but there are times Maybe not this past week, especially for everyone yeah. who was I on I want the- it to be, like, where I want the snow. I like going to the mountains to get snow. I don't want snow to, like, inconvenience me. That's exactly. Right, I think right, that was right. the, that was the thing this past week is yeah. it definitely inconvenient. It was a lot. It was a big inconvenience for everybody, especially living in Eugene and all along the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I know people who are, like, who've been out of power all week or, like, I had professors who, like, on, like, Tuesday were like, yeah, I finally got power. So we are extending all the deadlines on the homework assignments. It was, like it was crazy because I yeah. never lost power. I didn't even know that was going to be a big problem. But I guess, like, for many, it was, like, they lost power. They yeah, didn't I have was, Wi-Fi. I like... was fine the whole time. But, yeah, <laughs> I knew people who were down Wi-Fi, couldn't do homework. Uh, yeah, it's been tough. Well, you know who had a pretty good snow day on Saturday? You guys want to take a guess? <laughs> UO men's basketball. UO men's That's basketball right. team. Yeah, good guess, Mario. Uh, they had an 80 to 73 victory over the Cal Golden Bears uh, on Saturday. It was a close game against a well-rounded, solid Cal team. Uh, the Ducks were down by as much as 18 in the first half, but they stormed back with their perfect record on the line in conference play, and they got the job done. Jermaine Kuznard led the team with 18 points. Adrian Tracy, 14 points. Jackson Selstad, 12 points, and of course the return. Of Unfollow Dante. Huge, huge return for the Ducks. Uh, we'll get to Unfollow Dante in just a minute, but I want to get you guys' takeaway from this Cal game because it was definitely a uh, it was a pretty tough game for Oregon overall. They, de- they get get the win, and it was definitely a well-coached Cal team, but what, what were you guys' takeaway from the game on Saturday? Well, um, I think that for me the most important thing is just the mental victory that a game like this is. You know, a game without fans in a pretty weird situation – being down by so much in the first half and coming back to to win with such momentum, I think this is definitely going to put the team in very high spirits going forward. So definitely the mental battle, Oregon won 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I like being able to see that they were down in the first half, but it's the guys off the bench. It's Jadrian Tracy and Keyshawn Bartholomew. Like, you got to be able to switch it up. And Kwame Evans didn't play a ton of minutes, but Dana said that, it just wasn't his night, and it's okay. And I like that Oregon has the options and the depth. Yeah, uh, coming off the bench, and Dante wasn't even starting, and he came off the bench too. And I, I think this team is really deep, and they've been dealing with the injuries all season. But with guys coming back, it's gonna be that depth is really gonna show now that you have Dante back, and you'll get Biddle back eventually. So yeah, I like that you mentioned the depth really because, like you said, a lot of teams maybe don't have that option where if yeah. if it's not someone's night, they can just take them out for the rest of the game, but. Luckily for Oregon, even despite all the injuries that they face, they're still able to have that option yeah, of pulling gotta, guys off the bench because that's how dependable they are. Yeah, they have a consistent rotation of, of guards who can create off the dribble and create shots for other people. And and the depth that's been lacking has been the bigs, which have been they've been hurt. But 
guys like Mo Diawara and Kwame Evans stepping into a center role, which he's not a center at all. Mo Diawara like, has been awesome yeah, for this team. Like he, he has really a, stepped up. As a guy who's who's coming into the year thinking he's going to be a third string, and all of a sudden has been starting pretty much all season is is really really impressive. Yeah, some of these guys have been put in really uncomfortable positions, but they've like stepped up, and that's really been the the key yeah. to this kind of win streak in the conference play. Uh, you know, for me on paper, this Cal team didn't look like it was going to be a problem for Oregon. They you know, they don't have the top record in conference play. But if you look at the opponents that they faced so far before Oregon, you see that they played a lot of close games. They lost by two to Arizona State. They beat Colorado by four. They've been averaging around 75 points a game in conference so far. And, you know, lots of people were calling this a trap game. And I truly believe that it could have been, especially with the Arizona game coming up soon. Uh, you know, Oregon's been on a run, but they got tested on the floor and they responded by coming back from an 18-point deficit, which I thought was huge. Uh, for the mentality, especially they only have three games before they play Arizona and Eugene uh, in a few weeks. So I definitely think it was a good win. Uh, and Folly Dante, like you said, we're going to go back to him. Returned to the court Saturday for the first time since the season opener against Georgia where he played well in that game. Dominant. Dominant. boards in that game. Double-double yeah. in his first game. Like, man, you could see. He's a guy who was, who was projected to be an all-Pac-12 type of guy. So he's been. All-American. Like, yeah, he's. Yeah. He's. he's, he's he was coming into the season thought of as the best player. It's hasn't really been that way because he's just been hurt. But he's such a big addition to it's. It's like it's like a trade deadline addition almost. Like bringing him back into this team. Like it just adds so much that has been missing, and it feel it fills a lot of holes for the team that, that they've been lacking the depth at the bigs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Ducks. You know, they still missed them obviously, despite a good run that they've been having in conference play. Dante though. He had eight points, two rebounds against Cal. He played some really good defense. He had a lot of highlights. He had a few blocks in that game, too. He only played 60 minutes in that game. Then Altman said post game that, you know, they're going to try to increase his minutes, but they're not going to force it. They want him to get as healthy as possible for the closer to the end of the season. So against Colorado and Utah, they're going to kind of keep him around 16 to 18 minutes, is what uh, uh, Altman said on the post game and on Wednesday's press conference. Uh, but I want to ask you guys, where, where does Dante, now that he is officially back, as they're kind of you know getting back into the scheme of having him, where does he fit into this team now? Especially because they got Jackson Shellstad. He's developed a really good form with shooting. They have a really good shooting. Like they don't need to play Dante really as their main guy anymore. So where does Dante fit going forward with this team? Especially you know for the rest uh, before Arizona. I think with how much better the, everyone else has been, it really lightens the load on him. A lot of times yeah. last season, especially with with the way Will Richardson was at point guard, it just all fell on Dante's shoulders to be able to post up and score in the post off of double teams and everything. But now this team has a lot is a lot better shooting this year and has a lot more off-the-dribble initiators like Shellstad. Brandon Rigsby has become a lot better at that this season. Guys who can run the pick and roll with Dante, make him a lob threat and give him easy looks. And then when you do want to feed him in the post, he'll be able to kick out to guys who have been a lot better shooters this season. I think that for him, uh, a, a role that we will probably see a lot more, like you said, is just his defensive role, his role for the boards. Like I think that's definitely one of the aspects that Oregon has had a little bit more trouble with this season, and I'm excited to see uh, you know him back, see how the team reacts. But I definitely feel like they can build that system with him in the defensive front being kind of like one of the main guys because, as we've been saying, in the offensive side, Oregon has done really well, but I would like to see that little bit of improvement that he can bring on the defense, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Dante has definitely been the guy. Obviously, we know last year, you know, it was kind of him and Biddle were playing really complimentary basketball. Biddle, though, he's not going to be back. He'll probably be out with the season. He hasn't. There's been no word on if he's going to return this year. He might be back in time for the Pac-12 tournament. We don't know yet. We're not going to speculate at this time. But with Dante coming back, I think that this is the most ideal situation to him going back to. Yeah, they don't absolutely. Have, they don't have to rely on him like they used to rely on him before, especially because he is coming off injury. You want to settle him back in. But even if when he comes fully healthy, you're not going to put him in that position anymore where he has to be the scorer every night. He has to be the rebounder every night. He has to be the playmaker as well. Because we did see that he made a lot of good plays, uh, even though he was down low and he wasn't yeah. the ball carrier that – We've seen from Shellstead and some of these other guys. So I definitely think that this is the ideal setup. And it also allows it, too, where if he's having an off night, like you said, John, before with uh, with Diawara, they don't have to leave him in. Yeah. They can just, you know, they can take him out well, or they can, like, play through someone else. Yeah. Well, and Diawara's only been playing about 17, 16, 17 minutes a night, and which forces Kwame Evans to play a lot of the five. And he's he's a forward. He's skinny. He's not built to bang down low with the guys like Umar Balo, who they're going to have to play against at Arizona. 
there he's not built to kind of withstand those that that type of pressure down low and he's been really good defensively and i think this is really just going to unlock him now that he doesn't have to be the main rim protector and stuff yeah. kwame can be in that more like that four position that the celtics put robert williams in and the grizzlies put jaron jackson in where the off-ball roamer and they can play off the team's worst shooter and then block a lot of shots and be super disruptive defensively yeah especially if he keeps playing the defense like he did against cal where i mean he was like were, like he owned the inside there was nothing getting by him pretty yeah. like nothing easy at least getting by him and like you said if he can like be that guy where you work inside with him and that's all he does like he doesn't have to shoot he doesn't have to make plays you just do that through Shellstad and through all these other guys that are on the floor i really think that this could be one of the more dominant teams they could be more dominant than they are right now because we know that they're five and zero in conference play but some of these wins, they've been a little bit too close for for comfort, especially like this Cal game. Yeah. But they could definitely be more dominant and win these games that should be won by a lot more uh, in the coming weeks. Well, at, at the end of the day, you know, kind of to counter that a little bit, a win is a win. Like, and you know, only the final score counts. I think that we're definitely going to see a little bit more fluid game, a little bit more of a faster, more pass-heavy game, which is definitely more exciting basketball. But, you know, at the end of the day, whether Oregon wins by 20 points or they win by one point, you know, a win's a win. So, yeah, I mean, to, a win is a win. But to counter that, because it is college basketball where you have a 64 team tournament, you're looking so much at like you want to have a good record to be able to get in the tournament. But it's also so much about who you're playing, how well you're beating the good teams by how exactly if you're playing close against bad teams. It's a lot of it is like the net rating and the efficiency and stuff like that. So could, you want to be able to win against the bad teams big and be able to hang in round with the with the good teams because we're seeing it right now too oregon's five and zero, but they're barely receiving votes for the top 25 versus arizona where they're third i, I believe they're third right now in the conference yeah and i was looking at and they're still ranked as number the number four team which i mean is rightfully so if you know if you play any team plays against arizona it's going to be you know a pretty close game and arizona's have been one of the more dominant teams of all college basketball but now you know like you were saying the dominance of these wins is really going to start to factor in as to how many votes the Ducks are going to get and if they can crack into the top 25. Yeah, Ken Palm right now has Arizona third in adjusted um, efficiency metrics and Oregon 52nd. So yeah. you got you got to play a little bit to a higher standard, but they're definitely in a, in a solid place right now. And you would imagine, too, that with the Arizona game coming up you know, at the end of the month, if they can come close with it. They, obviously, they beat Arizona last year. Big at, game. Big game at Matthew Knight. Like, it's the first game is going to be here in UG, and that game is going to be sick. I really, like, yeah. I'm hoping I can be I there. missed that one last year. I, I had to go home for some reason that weekend and <sighs> missed it, and I was so sad. When I saw the clip of Dante dunking Dante's on dunk. and then oh everyone, God. like, rushing the court at the end of the game, I was I was disappointed. I missed that was, that that was that a good one. moment for the Duck team, especially because, yeah. you know, they, they weren't as dominant as a team last year in conference play, but – to finish off their home stretch like that with a big win over against the ranked team, it was big. And they could, they're going to try to do the same thing again this year. Um, but before the Arizona game, they got two fairly big matchups, three games before the Arizona game, but two big matchups this weekend. Going to be taking on Colorado tonight in Boulder. That one's going to be a 7.30 tip-off on Fox Sports. And then Utah on Sunday at 12 o'clock Pacific time. That one's going to be on ESPN. Uh, Colorado and Utah, they're fairly good teams. They're both 3-3 three and three in conference play. They play below Arizona and Stanford. Utah has been averaging around 80.5 points the game this season. Colorado around 80 uh, points this year. Both teams, they've had some pretty good wins. Both beat Washington, Washington State, and UCLA. All teams that Oregon has beat so far in conference. Uh, you know, what does this team really need to improve on the next three games with Colorado, Utah, and Arizona State before they take on Arizona because up to this point Arizona is most likely going to be or is going to be their biggest game that they play in conference I think that uh, especially the key for Colorado is just to not lose the momentum of this game like you know a lot of people don't consider it but the mental aspect of the game is so important and coming up such such an you know emotionally draining but also uplifting win against a tough opponent in sort of a uh, weird situation. I think definitely their key for the Colorado game is just to continue that mental battle. For the Utah game, in the is kind of the opposite. Is you know the physical battle, especially they. I think they need to play well down low because I definitely think that's one of the keys to winning. But um, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how well they do against Colorado because I I would say for now that Utah is a bit better than Colorado. That's my opinion. I don't know. I think I disagree. Colorado had a time. They, they That's a really talented team. It's an underratedly talented team. Cody Williams is going to be a guy who's going to go in the top 10 in the 
NBA draft in the spring. Tristan De Silva's a guy who could be sneaking into that late first round and probably early second round type of consideration. Those guys both missed a like a bit of a bit of time there in kind of the December run. And Cody Williams has been just absolutely on one since he came back. He was dominant against USC the other night. He's one of the best players in the conference already as a freshman, and I think you gotta you gotta be worried about him. And I think this Colorado game could definitely be one that the Ducks could lose in a surprising way. Yeah, fun fact actually, I just learned this one a few hours ago. The Ducks are one and eleven all time in Boulder. So Ooh, really? not that that's a, a testament to what's going to happen tonight, but that's just a good fact to know. Uh, Oregon has not had that much success in the state of Colorado, but we're going to see how they do tonight. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. I think that these are two games that could really start to test the Ducks. We talked about the Cal game, how it was going to be a real test for them to see if they can keep this thing going. But with Colorado and Utah especially, they're playing better basketball than their recent opponents. They're playing better than USC, than UCLA, than Washington, Washington State, some would argue. Uh, you know, I think that these are two games. Obviously, Arizona State's going to be the third game before Arizona. But Colorado and Utah are going to be the two biggest games and kind of warm-up games going at Arizona where if the Ducks can win, it gives them so much confidence against Arizona because obviously yeah. Arizona, you know, they're going to be going into hot with that one. They know what happened last year at Matthew Knight. They're going to be trying to, you know, rewrite the script for that one. But if Col- if Oregon could pull out a win against Colorado and Utah, the confidence level would just shoot up for this team. And if they're able to work Dante back in, get him back in the rotation, think, yeah. find out what his role is going to be, and get it like like concrete in by the Arizona State game, we can be looking at a easily a like all time all season matchup between Oregon and Arizona. Yeah, I think that's really is just the key is being able to get Dante settled back in, being able to get him used to playing with Jackson Shellstad and playing with Kwame Evans over on his side because it's going to be so much of a battle against Umar Balo when they play Arizona. You're going to need him and you're going to need his size to be able to combat combat that team that has a lot of size. Yeah, and the same thing too. I mean, I. I think the thing that they need to work on right now is they really have to get ahead early and finish. We've kind of yeah. seen this like fall miss behind. Ma- fall behind or they get ahead early but they're not able to finish and even though they have been on the this win streak it's really been the case for that where we saw it against the the Washington State game where they got ahead early down the stretch though it got a little too close for comfort. Washington State where they were down by 10 with like 4 minutes left to go and they came all the way back. Luckily Oregon was making the free throws and they got to the line and uh, Washington game. Washington is this Oregon team is so much better than Washington this year, and the fact that that was a two point game that they had to win on a late last second Jermaine exactly. Cousinard shot is was a little bit disappointing, but definitely still glad they won it. So yeah, and that's I think that's the biggest thing right now as to why they're not getting as many top twenty five votes as they should be, even though they have the record for conference play, the undefeated record, and a tough conference. Uh, you know, some of these wins have been you know a little too close. For consistency, I think that's definitely one of the one of the things that this team has has not had as much this season. You know, they're either a first half team, like you guys are saying, they're either a first half team or a second half team. But I don't think we have yet seen a complete game, like a four quarter conference game of complete basketball from Oregon. Like for example, what I saw at least personally against Michigan. I think I was there at at Matt Knight. That day, I think that was one of the coolest games I've so I've I've seen of the Ducks yet. But we, I don't think we have seen something similar to that in conference play. So they definitely need to get their consistency better, so they can have more like more of a chance to get those top twenty-five votes. I mean, when you look back at the schedule, like that Michigan game was pretty much the beginning to all this. I mean, obviously yeah. they lost that against was the coming out party for Shellstad. Exactly, like that was the game that Shellstad hit the the game winner. And even though they lost against Syracuse, I mean, you know, they were in neutral territory. They were in. They played a game in South Dakota. Like I, I still didn't understand the decision <laughs> for that game. The fact that they were played against Syracuse and they were playing in South Dakota, like it made no sense whatsoever. I guess maybe so that the teams like meet in the middle, but but know. still, like That's at weird, that point, you right. might as well just send them to. Either one or the other. Like, why Why have them meet in the middle? Uh, and why in South Dakota? Exactly. Not I, just to South Dakota, but really. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, no, I definitely think when you look at the schedule and, you know, the games that they play so far, that Michigan game, it was really just the, the second start to the season for this team. Uh, you know, nobody knew what direction this team was going to be in, especially after Dante and Biddle went out, the two star players. Nobody knew what they did, but Dana Allman has done such a good job with this team in coming up with schemes to work around, having very few bigs uh, in the lineup and, you know, ready to play. He's really brought out the best in Jackson Shellstad, who it was his first year. Obviously, people had a lot of high hopes from him, but nobody thought he'd be, 
made this big of an impact this early. Setting records. Setting records in his first year. Like, we've known the guys that played under Data Allman. He usually doesn't like to start freshmen. He's, the circumstances have been well, a lot. He's been forced to, yeah. Yeah, he's been forced to, and he definitely like he has done an amazing job, uh, you know, do like working with them, and he's done an amazing job coaching this team so far. And we're gonna get to see it again tonight, seven thirty tip off against Colorado, uh, in Boulder. We're gonna see if the Ducks can continue this conference winning streak. We're gonna step aside here for a break. When we come back, we're talking about some women's basketball, and then later on, the return of Oregon Diamond Sports is near. Coming up here on Quack Smack. Come to decide that the things that I tried were in my life just to get high on. When I sit alone, come get a little known, but I need more than myself this time. KWVA. KWVA. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom, come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Spookity spookity splash, y'all. What up, son? This is Colin Deaver, former sports director at KWVA 88.1 Eugene. Swish! And you're listening to Quack Smack. Welcome back to Quack Smack here on 88.1. Saul Galvan, John Evans, and Mario Ponce. We just talked some Oregon men's basketball and their hot streak in conference play. And now we're going to move on to some Oregon women's basketball because they had a good weekend as well. Pickett had a weekend sweep over the Arizona schools, 65 to 53 over the Sun Devils on Friday and a close 70 to 68 victory for the Wildcats on Sunday. Six game win streak at Matthew Knight after this weekend. Chance Gray and Grace Van Sluten were the stars of the weekend. Gray, 22 points versus ASU and Van Sluten, 19 points in each game with 18 rebounds. Combined between both games, uh, importance of back-to-back conference wins. Johns, you've been covering this team for uh, for two four seven. Shout out two four seven yeah, sports, by yeah. the way. Uh, you and Austin been covering this team for uh, how many games have you done for the for them? I've like, done five or six of their games this year. Uh, my shout out to Eric. Eric got a concussion this week, so that's why we were me and Austin were doing basketball for them this weekend. So was it um, be, was it because of the ice? No, it was before the ice. Oh, okay, but, yeah. <laughs> Un- unfortunate circumstances led to me getting to watch that Arizona State win, which was pretty fire. I mean, I hadn't yet to see them win a game. The games I had been covering had all been blowout losses, unfortunately. So uh, there was a little bit of talk around the Duck Territory headquarters that maybe John doesn't get to cover women's basketball anymore <laughs> if they're going to keep losing by 40. But curse is lifted now that they beat Arizona State. So that's pretty good to see. Yeah. I mean, before this weekend, the this Duck team had had a tough break in conference play. They were 3-0. and There were so many questions around where – you know, it was the same thing with basketball. Where was uh, – with men's basketball – where was this women's team going to go? Uh, but they had a tough start, a tough start to the conference schedule with Oregon State, UCLA, and USC, all teams that are, you know, potential top 25 candidates. But how important was this weekend with wins over Arizona State and Arizona, in, in your guys' opinion? I mean, three 
away games against three tough uh, conference rivals is definitely not a great way to start any any season for any team. But I think that having the two wins at home was definitely very good. Although I, I imagine that the players were a little bit disappointed that one of their games, that one of their most important wins all season was with no one in the stands. Yeah, it know? was crazy. Like, was, I did production for that I mean, game. Yeah, right I mean, there were still like they were still media members and there were still some fans in there. But if you watch that game on the live stream and on TV, like it almost looked like a COVID game where there was just nobody in the stadium. It was just the coaches, the players, yeah. the refs, and like the, yeah. the media personnel. But other than that, like the stadium was just dead empty. It was a bubble type game. The bubble. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to remember the bubble. I mean, <laughs> it, it was, it was good that we still had bat like basketball going on during mm-hmm. COVID, but not like having no fans there just made it, it so, so much weird. weird. Like, like Russell Westbrook was yelling at like the the moms and the babies. See, that's the only <laughs> thing that I loved about the bubble basketball was that you can hear the players' dialogue yeah. because there was just no crowd noise whatsoever. And also too, the other thing I loved was that you were able to like with most stadiums. I think the Ducks did this too. Were you able to send like a cardboard cutout of yourself into yeah. Matthew yeah. Knight and like have it and like. It, uh, you couldn't really tell it from the TV broadcast while the game was going on. It's kind of funny, but it was I still kind of funny. And like yeah. sometimes they would zoom in on some of them, and like people just did send in the craziest ones. That, yeah, like, I, I remember could've... there was a because like all the baseball games were empty. They had like the the Oakland A's had put up put up a bunch of like stuffed animals like all throughout the stands, <laughs> and then one got just absolutely like lasered and exploded by like a foul <laughs> ball. It was so oh, funny. Wow. I mean, now that we're talking. That's a that's a lot better than what I saw for the most part because I mostly watch European football or as you might call it soccer <laughs> and in most stadiums in Europe what they just do is they just put a lot of tarp and it just looked kind of terrible with like tarp like red or like whatever the yeah. color tarp yeah. so yeah, that's, no that's definitely a lot better. You got to at least get creative with it. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, some teams definitely got creative with it. The, the A's, maybe they all they could was afford stuffed animals. Yeah, probably, they couldn't probably. afford to do cutouts or, or TV screens like other stadiums do. But I hey. think it was them. I can't remember exactly. But, but hey, they're yeah. moving to Vegas now, so maybe they can't <laughs> afford it. <laughs> uh, but getting back to this basketball team, John, I mean, the importance of back-to-back conference wins, in your opinion. You've been covering this team for majority of the season. How big was, you know, this past weekend? Yeah, they unfortunately started their their schedule off really tough for the conference. Like, one of the things when I talked to, when I talked to Kelly Graves on Wednesday, he said that – Oregon and Arizona State were both going into that game winless in conference, but Arizona State's games had all been at home and they had lost them, whereas Oregon's had all been on the road and they were playing. Oregon State's a really tough team, and UCLA was number two in the country, and they're one of the best teams in the country. And USC was is is a top ten team in the country. Juju Watkins is one of the best players in the country as a freshman, and like you, it was just super unfortunate. It was an unlucky start that made this team look a lot worse than they are. Yeah, I still. I was a little surprised they won the Arizona game. That game was super close, and I think it's mostly just the free throw margin that really, really sealed that one. But Arizona State, they looked like the better team the whole time. And I know Arizona State isn't good, but it felt good to as a, as an Oregon student and someone covering that team to be able to finally see them look competitive in a in a game for the first time in like a while. And I don't know when the next win's gonna come, but I'm really glad that they got those. Yeah, I agree. I mean, th- it was just a really tough beginning to the conference play schedule. They had to face two ranked teams on the road. They didn't put up more than 55 points in those in those first three games, which is not really what we're known for seeing. We know that the dynamic of this team has changed a lot, especially with all the players that left last yeah, year. Yeah, it's such a young team. I had I had the stats. I can't remember what it was. It was over like 70% of the minutes this year are played by underclassmen. Yeah, it's I mean, a lot. exactly. And and that's going to be kind of the focus now is how can these you know younger players play but, you know, I thought this weekend was super big for them. The team, they like I said, they had a tough start to conference play. All the teams that they play are in the top half of the conference standings and are ranked in the top 25. And considering where, you know, Oregon finished in the conference last season, they really needed these wins to get on the right track and try to improve their record from last year in the Pac-12. Also I mean, important, too, for confidence and rhythm going the next few games because the next few games I think are going to be a lot tougher than the first three games with Stanford, Cal, Utah, and Colorado. Tough games for sure, but can definitely be winnable if the Ducks play like they did this past weekend. The thing about, well, the Pac-12 is like super stacked, like seriously stacked. I think Very, probably, yeah, like probably the best, the, yeah, the deepest, best like, I mean, the best conference in women's yeah. basketball this season. But I definitely think that, um, you know, the way this team has been playing and the way they, they are seeing their opponents, I think we might have some sort of surprise, like maybe some sort of upset this for these next stretch, but I definitely can't predict which game that would be. Yeah, I mean, 
like you look at this conference right now, it definitely is the the deepest of all. I mean, the only reason that a lot of people don't have the Pac-12 ever is because of like LSU. I mean, when you look at the SEC, I mean, the SEC between LSU and South Carolina is tough to beat at the top. But exactly. I'd say UCLA and USC can be put right there. Yeah, and then obviously and Colorado. Yeah, and then with the Big Ten too. I mean, they're only getting considered because of Iowa and Caitlin Clark. But other than that, I mean, you like the Pac-12 conference easily has the most teams in the top twenty-five right now. They have and four teams that are currently ranked in the in the top ten. Yeah, and the, I mean, there's teams like there are right below there that could easily jump in uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, but you know, focusing on this weekend, Chance Gray, she definitely uh, had a good weekend. Uh, how big is you know getting trans is Chance Gray starting to find a rhythm? Because right now she's shooting just over forty percent from three-point range in conference play. She's been averaging around fourteen points a game. To me, it's super important that she starts to find a rhythm, uh, you know, someone to compliment Grace Van Sluten, especially after the whole injury with Peyton Scott. Uh, you know, she got hurt. So unfortunate. So unfortunate. And it was really unfortunate because she came with so much experience. Yeah. She's she supposed w- to be the leader of this team. Exactly. The, the veteran presence. And to lose that five minutes into the season is just tragic. Yeah. She was supposed to be the leader. You know, Chance Gray, obviously, she played for this team last year. And she was going to play complimentary basketball to Scott and to Grace Van Sloot, but then after Scott went down for injury, Gray had to pretty much step up. Uh, and it took some time, but it looks like she's trending in the right direction. But, I mean, for you guys, like, how important is Chance Gray starting to find a rhythm, especially in the upcoming games? Well, I definitely think that she has to step into that sort of pr- uh, leadership presence, leadership role. And even if even being an underclassman, there's no reason why underclassmen cannot be leaders. Like, she has been playing really well you know, these last few games, but she just has to find a little bit more consistency, a little bit better shot selection. But if she can do that, then she can really, you know, be like the soulless team and definitely bring them forward. So I definitely feel like she has to find that leading mentality. Yeah, I mean, she definitely got some good minutes last year, especially even though she was a freshman. She definitely yeah. played with Tahina Pau Pau and uh, India Rogers. Like she she was like the kind of that third player to come in and it wasn't really supposed to be the same it was kind of supposed to be the same setup this year, but now she's really like gone into the the role where she's been like almost the number one or two player for this team. Yeah, well, deep down, I think she's a shooting guard. I think if you asked her deep down, she would say deep down, I'm a shooting guard. She's a shooting guard through and through. She's not. She's hasn't been a a, a point guard play initiator until this year. Last year, she had Rogers and Pau Pau to play off of, and coming into this year, we thought we were gonna. She didn't. It was, she was supposed to be the two. She was supposed to be playing behind uh, Peyton Scott. Yeah. And so, or or playing with Peyton Scott as the off ball. Let Peyton Scott do the you know driving and initiating. And mm-hmm. so she, it's just been a learning process for her, trying to figure out how, how am I going to get my teammates looks, how am I going to be able to get myself looks, and kind of balance that all out, which is just something she hasn't had to do previously. When I'm like when I'm watching her, I can just see the flashes sometimes where she she'll hesitation through the legs and it looks like she can get to the hoop but then she just pulls up for a jumper that she misses I think she's just got to be more consistent in trying to get to the hoop that's my been my thing all year I would just I would love if she would drive to the hoop like just so much more because she's really quick and she can get in there and she's small enough that she'll get fouled and stuff yeah I just she settles for jumpers too often and she's jumpers just aren't going to be the most efficient shot in the world no matter how good you are at them and that's when that's what she's been doing really well recently is that she's shooting over 40% near 50% from three in conference plays that that's opened up the game for everyone else. But when she's not hitting those shots, it can get a real, it can be a real struggle at times for the offense. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it is tough to like go from the two to one, like even though it's, yeah, it's, you're, it's, you're it's still playing the way you play. Exactly. It's, it's switching up a whole position. Like, even though you're still a guard, yeah. like playing from going to shooting guard to point guard. I mean, it's a whole different mentality, even pointing like point guard. You are controlling the court right now, like for the the other four players that are on the team. Whereas shooting guard, I mean, you're on the outside. You're there to score. You're there to score. She's a scorer. She's not a creator. Yeah. Uh, And she's she's learning how to be a creator. But like you said, though, she has the tools to where she can be a point guard. She's quick. She's physical. She can drive inside, get the fouls, but she can also shoot. I mean, she could realistically be one of the more lethal players in the conference. She just got to get the confidence up, and I yeah. think like this next couple games can definitely give her a lot of confidence. Like you said, like I feel like yeah, if you, she just drives in and tries to be physical down low, especially with Grace Van Sluten too. Like if she can drive in and either kick it out to Grace Van Sluten or get it down low to her, if she gets trapped, I, I mean that could be easily be another twenty points that the Ducks can 
add on to their totals in each game. Yeah, this whole team, every time I'm watching, I'm just like, can somebody please drive to the hoop looking to score? Because there will be so many decent-looking drives, and then they pass, and then they're passing and passing, and no one ever, and then they huck up a three at the end of the shot clock because no one's looking to score. People, so, like Sophia Bell, Grace Van Sluten's basically the only one who does it. Sophia Bell, Chance Gray, Rambis, anybody. If anybody can just drive to score, that would do so big things for this team. And we see it for Grace Van Sluten. Like, she has and the, highest, why, the highest point percentage on this team. And, and that's she's because, getting to the line. Exactly. Like, get to the line. Get the fouls if you can. Like, the whole point of this conference isn't – like, there's good shooters in this conference, but there's not great shooters to the point where you need to basically shoot lights out in order to win. Like, if you if you have it that night – Good, it's working, but yeah. otherwise, just drive to the hoop and try to get the easy points. Yeah. Uh, so it's, this is not a good three-point shooting team overall. No, they're, this they're is at not. the bottom of the conference in three-point shooting. They're yeah, they they need to be just more proactive at trying to get to the hoop. Yeah. So Oregon is going to be taking on number eighth-ranked Stanford on Friday. Uh, Austin Odo and Charlie Mont- Martindale are going to be oh, on yeah. the call. <laughs> so tune in to 88 point. I hope Austin's listening uh, and appreciates <laughs> the shout out because I don't remember the last time we shout him out for basketball. <laughs> so I really hope that he, he's listening right now. Shout out Austin Odo. Uh, he's going to be on the call for this weekend for Stanford on Friday and then Cal on Sunday. Uh, Stanford, number eight team ranked right now in the country, 4 and 1 in conference. Uh, Cameron Brink and Kiki, I, I don't know how you say your last name. I think it was Kiki. Or I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, I, I would need to go into the, <laughs> to the game notes and scroll down to find the pronunciation. I don't want to mess it up, so I'm going to yeah. skip that name. But uh, right now, Stanford, one of the more dangerous teams uh, in all of the nation, uh, but more or less in conference. Uh, right now, they're averaging around 17 points this season. Cameron Brink, uh, two of the most dangerous players in the nation. Stanford, they're coming off a loss to Colorado, but we know Colorado and the team that they are. Uh, they're undefeated at home this year, the, the Cardinal. Uh, but the Ducks, I, I truly think that they could put up a fight. It's going to depend on which duo plays better if Chance Gray and Grace Van Sluden can find the rhythm like they did this past weekend. Uh, but what do you guys think of this uh, this first matchup on the road against Stanford? Uh, I think it's going to be a tough one. I definitely – well, I mean, I definitely feel like it's not going to be like a hopeless effort from Oregon. If they can, you know, as we've been saying, if they can get inside, if they can have better shot selection and not have to rely so much on shooting, they might be able to put up a fight. But I just don't see them winning. I think Stanford is a very talented team, and it's going to be a taller – the flip side is that if the Ducks pull up the upset and win, this will definitely give them a lot more confidence and momentum going forward. But I think that's a little bit too uh, difficult for this team at the moment. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't really see any world in which they win this game. Having watched this team as much as I have this year, Stanford's really good. Cameron Brink's one of the best players in the country. Yeah. But I, what Kelly Graves said today was that the key is going to be getting her into foul trouble early, and I think it's because she's so, such a dominant and and effective shot blocker and de- de- interior defender. Her defense is just unbelievable. Like Yeah, low. I think the key is you got Grace Van Sluten, it has to be on her shoulders to be able to drive to the hoop put her in foul trouble and get her out of the game so they can they don't have to worry about her on offense. Yeah, I mean, isolation is going to be key for this one. Like, if you can isolate Cameron Brink and get her out of the big game, I mean, you might give yourself a chance, uh, but we know Stanford, they are just such a tough team. And this is going to be a tough stretch coming up for Oregon, and it's really going to prove – it's almost going to be like a battle test for them uh, with Cal on Sunday and then Utah and Colorado the following week. We're going to see how they do, uh, but tomorrow night – Osnoda and Charlie Martindale going to be on the call. Oregon versus number eight Stanford. Tip-off is at 7 o'clock. And with that, we are going to step aside for another break. When we come back, though, we're going to talk about some Oregon Diamond sports. Seasons are just around the corner, which means spring is around the corner. So much fun. We're going to talk about it on the other side of this break here on 88.1. KWVA. KWVA. There are nearly 20 million refugees worldwide fleeing terror, war, violence, and political and religious persecution. Refugees admitted to permanently resettle in the U.S. have been passed through multiple levels of rigorous screening and security clearance. They want what we all want, peace, security, and freedom from fear. Refugees are survivors, families, and no different from us. It's time we welcome refugee families with open arms. Learn more at EmbraceRefugees.org. The Skate Park Project. 
formerly the Tony Hawk Foundation is a skateboarding organization that helps communities build public skate parks for youth in underserved communities. To date, nearly 600 recipients of the Skate Park Project grants have opened their skate parks. These parks receive more than 6 million annual visits by youth who benefit from the active lifestyle and camaraderie the facilities promote. Learn more about the Skate Park Project by visiting www.skatepark.org. UNICEF works across 190 countries and territories to reach the children and young people who are most at risk and most in need. As conflict escalates in Ukraine, UNICEF is on the ground providing safe water, emergency supplies, and social services to children and their families. Learn more at unicef.org forward slash Ukraine forward slash EN. Hey, this is Joey McMurray, broadcaster for the Oregon Sports Network and former KWVA sports director. But he's wearing Adidas pants. You can't do that. And you're listening to Quacksmack. Bringing back to this Thursday edition of Quacksmack here on 88.1, Saul Galvan, John Evans, and Mario Ponce. We just talked about some Oregon men's basketball and some Oregon women's basketball, and now we are going to talk about some Oregon Diamond sports. Man, it's crazy to think that we just finished up the college football season, what what was it, a week ago? Like, less than a week ago, and now we're already on the horizon of Diamond sports being back for collegiate, like, the gap is not that much. Even though it seems like it's just forever, it's really not that long. We only have a month. Because it's all got it's all got to fit into the school year, so. That that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's different for pro leagues because like MLB baseball doesn't start until like late March, April. Yeah, it starts earlier than you think of it cuz you think of baseball as starting at the end of March or yeah. early April and it starts earlier than that cuz it's got to end by June or July. But so. that's not the case for college though. Everything's yeah, got exactly. to fit everything has to fit in the academic year and lucky for us, it means that there's we not get a baseball big, earlier. We get baseball. Well, actually, so. have you guys been following Winter League Baseball? I follow Winter League Baseball a lot because that's where I'm from, like in Venezuela. Yeah, what, baseball Ronald season Acuna is down there from September to February. And right now the leagues are like all heating up. Like I think either yesterday or today was like the one of the games of the final of the Puerto Rican League that ended in like a walk-off. And the final of the Venezuelan League will be decided after this week. So like baseball is still like Pretty pretty good everywhere oh, yeah. else in the world. Oh, I I love watching the the highlights from the winter league games because those like down in South America and in, in the DR and stuff because those dudes just do not care. They're bat flipping on everybody. Yeah, they're they're taking two minutes to run the bases after home runs. It's, it's really so it's really just like little league all over. Yeah, again. especially like getting to watch guys like when when Ronald remember? Acuna goes down there or like the yeah. top MLB players go down yeah. there and they're just because they're so much better than all the other guys they're playing. It's so fun to watch them. It's just like little league when you know you sign up for a team midway through the season you just get there and you just hit a nuke in your first step yeah exactly and, and, then, and then you're just gone like you just play one game and you're like all right i just helped you win the well f- you guys the first remember yasiel puik how he kind of fell off the map yeah in yeah the u.s well now he's in venezuela he's like destroying the earth like he's like the best player in the league right yeah now. it's kind of crazy yeah he's been playing in korea too like yeah. yeah it's it's fun i remember i think it was one of the I can't remember if it, it may have been Venezuela. One of the leagues last year, there was some crazy fight. I remember yeah, seeing. Yeah, well, there's in, some there's some crazy fights yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah. where it was like a home run. But that's and then not that's not crazy over there. That's like once every week over yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I've been in those kinds of games. I've seen that. Well, actually, I haven't seen Venezuelan games in person because when I left, uh, I didn't do that. But those games are definitely. Super cool. Yeah, the passion for baseball throughout Latin America is just so fun. To the passion watch. for all sports. Like, yeah, you exactly. guys have no idea. It's so different from here. Uh, you guys are really missing out. No yeah. offense. No, I mean it's it's definitely like they they take it seriously over there, and like they knowing that there's still baseball going around year round. I mean, like you said, it is exciting to watch. I'm like don't really watch the winter leagues that much because I'm so focused on I just on, see like highlights on Yeah, Instagram I'll see like some say like, cool. I'll, I'll see highlights of like just I, I saw some video of like a guy went like going into a game in the DR and there's like you get like beers for a dollar like <laughs> you're just having a blast it's a oh, party down there Yeah, no, like 
you you go there not just to watch the game. Like yeah, you you go there to it's have an experience. Yeah, you go there to have fun and, to, and for it to be an experience. But uh, going back to the Oregon Diamond Sports, uh, like we said, we're we're getting close to the beginning of the season. Softball going to kick off their season in Clearwater, Florida, at the NFCA leadoff classic. Uh, first game is against going to be against Indiana. That'll be on February first. Knight Yuretsky. Our sports director here at KWA going to be on the call all season long, tuning in to 88.1 for each game. And then baseball, not too long after, uh, they're going to start their season at the Shriner Children's Clo- College Showdown against Oklahoma on February 16th. Uh, you know, er, what we've seen the schedule so far. They've been out for a while. What, you know, for you guys, what are some like early predictions or takeaways from the team's first few weeks of the schedule, baseball or softball? I think because there's so much change on these rosters for both teams, I think it's just going to be kind of figuring out where everybody kind of fits into their roles, figuring out how everybody can kind of mesh together and play together and so that the teams will, the teams will be set and stuff by the time uh, conference play rolls around. I think that especially – well, for baseball, I think that uh, the team really needs to get momentum early. So I definitely think that they would try to win You know, their series against Lafayette or against UC Santa Barbara, definitely those those would be really good setting up for later. For uh, you know the softball team, I think this team could be really special. Like even if there has been a lot of like changeover and a lot of things are not the same from last season, I definitely feel like they could really do make some noise. So I definitely expect them to do well against Texas A and M and Loyola and things like that. I definitely think these games these games could be really interesting and set the team up for later in the season. Yeah. Where they get to conference play. Yeah, I think the first few weeks for the both these teams are going to be really big. I mean, they're both going to be on the road for a majority of the first few weeks of the schedule. For softball, big start to the season, taking on big pro, big name programs like Clemson and Kansas, uh, and then they go to the Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic. With uh, you know, it'll be big for conference leading up to the Jane Sanders Classic, where Oregon's set to take on Maryland and Florida State. Florida State always a tough opponent uh, in the Jane Sanders Classic. That will be right before they begin their conference schedule, and then for baseball. Similar, you know, similar style. They're playing UC Santa Barbara on the road. They they were swept by them last season. And then you look later on to the conference play. Obviously, Oregon State series late in April. That's going to be one to keep an eye on. They're always competitive. Oregon State right now I think is number seven in the preseason poll. And then uh, they're going to be playing USC uh, here and Eugene. They didn't play them last year, so that's going to be another big matchup to look look for. Uh, But with baseball, you know, we look at this roster right now and where they're at. Only three seniors on the active roster. Two of them will most likely be everyday players in Bryce Betcher and Logan Mercado. Really the opposite of last year where it was all experienced guys. Uh, you know, we look at the guys to watch. Drew Smith, Bennett Thompson, Jacob Walsh, Isaac Aon. All of them are sophomores or juniors. Um, but really for you guys, like, where you know, where does this roster kind of fit into this whole conference play? Because like we said, it's a... Not technically a different roster because there's a lot of guys that played and started last year that are going to be on this year's roster. But, you know, compared to last year, we had Sabine Ceballos, Riku Nishida, uh, Chase Stolfo, like so many guys. They, were th- yeah, they lost six guys to the draft, and that doesn't even include guys like like Drew or like Tanner Smith, who is like the program leader in just about every statistical category now. Yeah, I mean, wh- what does this roster look like now for you guys? I think the big key is going to be the development of the pitching. You you mm. lose Stoffel and Molaris to the draft, who were Stoffel was by far the best pitcher last year, Easy. and Molaris was, yeah. was really solid too. And last year, over half of the innings of the team were thrown by by the seven freshmen they had on that staff. Those guys are going to have now how all have a year under their belt. They're going to get more experience. They're going to get more college coaching. And I think it's the development of your pitching staff and especially how young that pitching staff is that's going to really be a key. Yeah, I mean, like, the Ducks never really had a set third pitcher last no, year. It absolutely w- not. It, it was, was always, like, Stolfo on Friday, he would throw a really good game. Mercado on Saturday, he would get them deep into the game. And then Sunday would just be between Spoljeric, between uh, Matthew Grabman, Jackson Jaha got a few innings in there, and also and you're just hoping up they don't give up a seven piece. In the exactly. Seven I mean that was the case too. Like some some of those guys were struggling. I know Spoljeric, where there was one game where he couldn't even get out of the first inning. Like there was just some like some Sundays where they really needed that win. Like it was either the series was tied at one apiece or they were going for the sweep and they just couldn't get it done Sunday. So yeah, I agree with you. I think trying to find that third that pitcher Sunday early start, on yeah. because obviously Isaac Aon, you know, coming back, that's huge. That's I, really I definitely big. think that could be a huge. Uh, replacement. And he was a guy who's drafted last year 
in the 20th round coming off of a year of full injuries, which is why he decided to come back. Yeah, I mean, he was drafted, I, I believe, by the Nationals, I think. I yeah. forgot what round it yeah. was. But he was drafted by the Nationals. But he said he wanted to come back uh, for his junior season. And, yeah, I truly believe that, yeah, he's going to be probably the guy that replaces Chase Stoffel as the Friday guy. Logan Mercado will go back to a Saturday role. And then, obviously, the key for Mark Wazikowski is going to be who is going to be that Sunday starter yeah. uh, going forward, especially when you get to conference play. You definitely want to have a Sunday starter if possible. But then also with the lineup, too, uh, they lost a lot of guys. Riku Nishida, top of the lineup, guy who would get on base, fast guy, too. Uh, you know, wasn't afraid to put the ball in play, was really aggressive on the base path. He's gone now. Sabine Ceballos, guy had a ton of power. Like every time he went up to the plate, you expect a home run on him. And he almost did, too. Yeah, I, he's the best all around hitter on the team. Best, That's the reason he got drafted uh, in the third round. Best all around hitter. And then you look at guys like. Drew uh, Tanner Smith and Drew Cowley, guys who you know they played really well. They were complimentary to the lineup. Now that they're lost, that they're lost, you got these guys that you know bottom half of the lineup. They are not going to be moved to the top half, including Bennett Thompson, and Drew Smith, Jacob Walsh. They hit really well last year. I think those are those guys are really the keys because those guys, especially like Drew Smith, really came on at the end of last season. He he finished the year with a. OPSing over a thousand, but he only played in 30, 33 games. He's he's a really talented hitter, and he, he as a freshman he just didn't get a ton of run, and so you could see that down the stretch run of last year. And Jacob Walsh, he's he started as a freshman two years ago. He was starting last year as a sophomore. He's a guy we've been waiting for to come along, and you just kind of really need to see it this year where he can get that OPS up over into the 900, 950 kind of range as a first baseman. Yeah, but, I mean he oh. he really hit well last year. Mario, go ahead. I think I think that uh, you know one of the to answer the question that you had asked about, like what what I think the roster should be focusing on, I definitely feel like you know, uh, offensively they should be really thinking about how not only getting the ball in play, but how they're getting the ball in play. Like not just singles, not just home runs, but like really those kinds of like you know weird bounces, those that kind of things that can happen. You know, try to make those happen a little bit more like get more doubles get more triples especially because that could definitely be you know an offensive key with baseball being a sport with such tight margins as it is already i could definitely feel like if they are able to get a little bit more creative and do a little bit more variation in their plate appearances that'll definitely be positive for them going forward yeah i mean last year speed and power were just the name of that roster like they were hitting home runs every game they were stealing a lot of bases they were getting doubles and extra base hits every single game this year's roster could look a little different maybe not as much power i mean we know walsh and thompson they have a ton of power walsh, walsh it's the raw power he's just got to be able to find a way to get the ball in the, or the bat to the ball exactly i mean like they had they had games where they were on it like you could tell that they were you know they had it with them but then they were you know the consistency wasn't there same as like sabios or nishida had all year long so i think you know the lineup could change a little bit like that where Maybe they do shift away from power hitting, try to do a little more situational. But either way, I definitely, you know, this roster is in a good spot right now. I have a lot of hope uh, for this team. Going back to softball, though, uh, you know, we only have three minutes left, so we'll talk about softball pretty quick. But uh, there were a lot of gaps coming to this offseason. No Allie Bunker. She graduated last season along with uh, Kyla Morris and Tara McGowan. Uh, a few other players that were known for this team for the past five years. Some familiar faces with the Duck fans, but they're no longer on the roster. But the Ducks, Melissa um, Lombardi, they've been busy in recruiting and the transfer portal. The most notable recruit that played in fall ball this season, Emma Koff, top catcher transfer in the nation coming over from Georgia Tech where she was uh, ACC honoree three years in a row. Pitching going to look the same with Morgan Scott and Stevie Hansen. But for you guys, are all the gaps in softball that were at the end of last season kind of answered at this point, it, especially with the transfer portal? I think so. I think that this team is definitely – like setting themselves up for success. Maybe it's not going to be super quick, but if they can get a little bit more development, then yes, I would say that their uh, big uh, problems are kind of either solved or in the process of. Yeah, I think getting Kayla Pollard in out of the transfer portal from Florida, she was a big-time recruit going into Florida. She was okay last year. You're playing at a big school and a big conference, but I think she'll be able to fill into that nicely into that second base slot behind. It's that, a where it's it's, it's it's really a shame that she won't be able to play this year. Yeah, like I I know like obviously there's all these rules right now, and you know she. It's just tough though. Well, they keep changing the rules with the with the portal and stuff, so we'll see by the time. The season it sucks too because I mean with Emma Koff she only has one year of eligibility left and she chose Oregon to, to use that one year of eligibility and knowing that this you know she could have played alongside this transfer from Florida 
you know, it, it just would have yeah. been unbelievable. But she's going to have to wait a year. But, I mean, hey, it gives the Ducks something to look for in uh, next year. Uh, but, you know, this I got season. a quick update. Nafali or Nate Biddle was a, is a game time call for tonight. He oh, big up news. He could, he could potentially be playing. Not guaranteed, but he's warming up with the team. I love that you brought breaking news in the story. Yeah. Like, I, oh, my God. That's that's the best thing you said I'll share. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Quack Smack. Boys, it's been a fun one. Uh, we've been out of the studio for a week, and it's good to be back here uh, with you guys. Continue on Quack Smack. Friday night spotlight tomorrow night, uh, one hour before uh, the Stanford game. Oregon versus Stanford. Osnoda and Charlie Martindale are g- going to be on the call. But for myself, Saul Gavon, Mario Ponce, and John Evans, we say good night here from the KWA studio on 88.1 FM. to Quack Smack on KWVA. If you missed any portion of the show or just want to listen again, you can find the full show recordings online at kwvaradio.org. Plus, we're on Twitter at KWVA Sports. Join us again for our next episode tomorrow at 6 p.m. right here on KWVA Eugene 88.1 FM.